Welcome to 100 Ways, your simple reminder that you are home wherever you are and that everything is right the way it is right now. I'm your host, Laura Christine, fellow explorer of consciousness and this amazing, beautiful world. Let's get curious, dive into the duh, and find out what's here for us today. Welcome to 100 Ways. This is your daily exploration of self and soul. I'm your host and fellow explorer, Laura Christine. Let's dive in and find our way home. We've come to a pivotal place in this story. Ethan came to India and Nepal for the purpose that we are going to visit or not in this episode. You'll learn a little bit about a Buddhist university and how they work or at least Ethan's perception of them, and learn what not to do when you are going to meet a spiritual master. All over Kathmandu, there are these stupas and temples that have clusters of religious buildings around them where pilgrims visit and pay respect and meditate. But there's one in particular, which is called the Buddha stupa in Buddhanath, and there are these historic images of it. I'm afraid I don't know when it was built, but a very, very long time ago, back when Kathmandu was just farmland. And it was this beautiful, massive building, which is a very large sort of mound-like base, and then this very pointy steeple with these very fierce-looking eyes on it, and then this sort of parapet. It occurs to me that these parapets are kind of a shared architectural feature among different religions in the world. Like lots of churches will have very, very pointy steeples on them. And there's one point a while ago when I thought there's something sort of essential about these very pointy architectural features in religious buildings is they're sort of reaching to this point of ineffability. It's not that they're sharp so much as that they're tapering off to infinity. And this sort of pointiness, it's getting to the point of, <laughs> of religion in the sense that it yeah, it's sort of permitting small thoughts to take place. And really good, beautiful small thoughts can really only take place in the presence of good preconditions for thinking. You can have small thoughts like you're running around a city and you're too late for something and you say, oh shit, in a very small way. And that's not the type of small thought that I mean so much as something that kind of like percolates or sort of emerges from beginningless time or that arrives in your mind and you're not really sure where it came from and you sort of think of it as your own thought but it could very well just as well be energy that's stuck to the proboscis of your bee self that's sort of gently collecting pollen anyway this temple is very sacred and has this pathway around it there are all these prayer wheels that not only do you walk around in a clockwise direction around the stupa which hundreds of people do every day and gather merit, you also have the option of running around with your hand outstretched and spinning every single prayer wheel as you go around. Prayer wheels are this great technological innovation of Buddhism where you bind a lot of these mantras into one and then you spin it and it's 
equivalent to having said these mantras 10,000 times in a single spin. So it's great. (laughs) Subsequently, many years later, I had the idea of putting mantras on hard drives because it seems to, you know, persist. (laughs) If you're spinning a disc, you might as well spin it 10,000 times a minute. I'm not sure that actually counts, but I still am doing it. So there's this really sacred site that has been there since Kathmandu was farmland. And around it are these temples and institutions of learning. There's very much kind of a collegiate feel to this area. So Nepal was beset by this terrible earthquake a number of years before I was there. And there was this sort of societal upheaval at that point. So in addition to the general flow of students into these monasteries and institutions of Buddhist teaching. There were a lot of children that got displaced or needed a home. So there's this kind of dual purpose of these meditation centers of providing a place for dedicated students who choose of their own free will to go there, and then also sort of a humanitarian effort that permits the teachings to be spread more generally and more freely, and that there's money available to support these kids and people who are displaced. I'm thinking of this one place that I visited because I was looking for my friend Jack's teacher. I sort of was aware of this institution that was a monastery and a collegiate environment that Jack's teacher was the head of because Jack had told me about it and I thought I might be able to meet his teacher or one of his teachers. I wasn't exactly sure what the relationship was that Jack had to this person. And was it a guru-student relationship? Was it sort of like he was an intern? Or was he a secretary? Was he an acquaintance? Was he something? I didn't quite know, but I knew that he had been returning there. And for whatever reason, I didn't ask him. I kind of wanted some clues, but not much more than that, because I didn't want to put him out for having to come up with this information, although we were very close friends. And it wouldn't have been, you know, at all presumptuous to ask him that. So I guess I'll tell the story of going to that place. It was the White Something. I think the name is not exactly clear. There are different ways that it's called, but it's the White Monastery or the White Temple. or the. Uh, you may have to look it up, or maybe I will. Or nobody has to. <laughs> it's not clear. And I had met some friends of Jack's who were still in Nepal. Jack was not in Nepal at this point. And they kind of gave me the rundown, and they're like, all right, here's how it all works, and if you'd like to come visit, here's some good times that you could come visit. And one of the times you could visit would be you could visit a classroom, and you could visit one of our lectures, and we have homework and everything. And I was like, wow, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, I've been to college. (laughs) That sounds familiar. And so I went to this class, and it was remarkable. It was so strange. Instead of talking about utterly irrelevant things, like textual exegesis of some sort of philosophical text that nobody really cared about or really understood, or some liberal artsy situation where people are kind of churning through the phases of understanding half-heartedly. What I was totally blown away by was they weren't talking about sort of second or third order or fourth order stuff. They were trying to get to the real heart of the matter. Like, what is the point of reading books, you know, in liberal arts schools? Why do people do that? Well, to get good grades so that they can have a good career after they graduate from college, obviously. Well, that's probably not right. You know, the real reason that you read books is to fill yourself with wisdom and insight and beauty and kindness. And there are all these different ways that that happens. 
but my experience has generally been that the way that institutes of higher learning in the U.S. that I've experienced, the practice of encountering these books is rote and sort of without a broader framework or having frameworks, but in which the the frameworks are sort of disparate and sort of usually dependent on whether or not your professor is really good. Like I've certainly, and I think people have all the time, these remarkable classes that you walk away from with this tremendous insight and something that you'll never forget. But there's something sort of beautiful to me about these Buddhist universities in the sense that there's this tremendous tradition that is very, and I'll say beautiful, but also sort of have some skepticism. And Maybe the same critiques actually apply exactly to Buddhist universities, you know, that there's nothing really different. There are different paths of Buddhism. Just to say Buddhism is obviously not all that descriptive. There are different thoughts about how you should practice. And in general, it seems like one distinction you can make is, are you practicing a path of instant enlightenment? Are you practicing a path of gentle dedication? Are you practicing a path of intellectual deobscuration? Can you sort of wrangle your way to infinity uh, or to, you know, to enlightenment? And um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you're like, all right, bring it on, you know, like, what do you got? Give me some puzzles, you know, (laughs) all right, I can solve them. And so I found myself in this classroom and they were talking about some things that just seemed like they had very obvious answers. And I just had this sort of feeling of either I'm too advanced for this class or I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm still not sure which one it was. (laughs) And this was an introductory class, so forgive me for saying something like that. It wasn't it was sort of an entry-level thing, so maybe I did have a general idea of what they were talking about. But one of the prerequisites, one of the core aspects of teaching in this institution is that you're also studying Sanskrit. And that's really critical because that's sort of the core language of transference of a lot of these very subtle insights and ambiguity and meaning has a different relationship to Sanskrit. In fact, I just saw a list of the languages which ChatGPT, I know we had to talk about it at some point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) GPT is least successful at interpreting Nepalese and it didn't even try Sanskrit. You know what I mean? I'm cutting in here to give you a little bit of background on why this is so funny, Jared, who brought me to play Goat, where I met Ethan, and Ethan are obsessed with ChatGPT. I think, I mean, I don't know if I want to give Ethan any leeway here, but he is a programmer, so maybe, like, it's okay to be obsessed with something that you're already obsessed with. But yeah, we talked about chat gpt and things that were looked up on chat gpt a little bit too much the night that ethan and i met at that bar playing go also i'm not sure why chat gpt would try sanskrit anyway because it's technically a dead language no one actually uses it in everyday life maybe that's why not sure i don't know this computer stuff like these guys do it just would have no idea because it's this sort of many-dimensional language. It always involves a high degree of interpretation. So to study Sanskrit is to sort of become brought into this 
kind of thinking and sort of line of thinking that has a lot to do with these touchstones of intellectual nexuses of thought, sort of encountering ambiguity and moving with it in one way or moving with it in another, or sort of relating to impossibilities and different classes and orders of impossibility. And there's sort of a subtleness to it. It's like there's this sort of glib thing, you know, like the Eskimos have a hundred different words for snow. You know, it's kind of like that. So I have no understanding whatsoever of Sanskrit. And so this class, I probably didn't have any idea what they were talking about. But I thought, at any rate, this is something that I could totally imagine doing. That would be a really special thing to go study at a place like that for a couple of years. And the nice thing is they're accepting of all creeds and conditions. Maybe I can wait until I'm 85 and go sign up. <laughs> and so that was good. And I enjoyed that. When I was there, one of Jack's friends was able to connect me with the right people so that I could request an audience in front of the Rinpoche. And I was had been thinking about this because there's this thing that you do when you encounter a Rinpoche or any really anyone that you respect, any equal or any person that's sort of on the same path that you want to pay a ceremonial respect to and you have this piece of beautiful cloth called a kata. You can buy katas like all over the place. There's so many katas. There are yellow katas and orange katas and red katas and rainbow hippie peace sign katas, flame katas, you know. But in general, I think the solid color ones are a safe bet. They're less likely to be gauche. So I had three white katas that I had been carrying with me in my backpack. And I intended to present this kata to the Rinpoche, who was Jack's teacher. And somewhat em sort of embarrassingly, the thing that I planned to do when I met this person was to stare intently into their eyes and just kind of have it out with them, with my eyes. <laughs> because I, I didn't really have a specific question that I wanted to ask. And I just wanted to encounter greatness. I think that's what it was, is that I thought, all right, mister, if a thousand students are training under you, and if a hundred dedicated monks, this is another thing that I did, is I attended a meditation of a hundred monks who spent three hours chanting positive aspirations for the Rinpoche. Like, dig that. You are part of this institution where people get together every day and spend three hours meditating intently on your well-being. Like what even, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was every day that they, but you know, this was a routine practice. Maybe it was every week. Still, I don't have a hundred people getting together and meditating intently on my well-being every week. And so it really must involve a lot of clarity and insight and worthiness and beauty to be sort of in this position. And, and so it's this really significant thing. And so I thought I would like to test my own abilities of insight and vision and perception and just see if I feel anything or see if I see anything and that's really all that I'm looking for. I don't have like should I sell my three sheep or should I buy a goat or like my wife has left me how can I find another wife <laughs> or how shall I defeat my enemy you know <laughs> like typical things that you ask a wise man. So probably because of this intention to intensely stare at this person rather than bring anything of value. Um, when it came time to inquire as to his whereabouts, they brought me up to the chamber where ordinarily he would be receiving visitors and he wasn't there. And they said, ah, he must not be here. 
<laughs> which is something that you'd think they would know. But so I sort of interpreted this to mean that he was sort of in a state of quantum indeterminacy, that sort of him being there or not was impossible to really define in a schedule or pin down. And because of the subtleness with which he may or may not be there, certainly the intention which you bring to the potential meeting is one of the most significant determinants of whether, in fact, he will be there or not. <laughs> and so I think this was probably a sign anyway. And I think he was actually not even in Nepal, is what they said later. <laughs> I think he was on a, on a business trip. But I had entered into the universe in which that was the case. So I said, darn, this is really a shame, but not so much of a shame. There are three more stories in Kathmandu that I think I will share in the wake of realizing that going to meet this master was not a possibility. I find it rather hilarious that the reason Ethan went to Kathmandu was to meet this Rinpoche that he ended up not being able to meet. That is so the way life is. It's just like, oh, here's a sucker punch for you. Oh, you thought you were going to do this thing? No, you're not going to do this thing. You don't deserve it. Or maybe there's something even better. I think maybe there was something even better. Ethan has a few more experiences to share. My favorite one is coming up. It involves pigeons because anytime animals are involved, well, not anytime animals are involved. It depends on the situation, but... When animals are in their element and not being hurt or mistreated, then I'm good with animals being in any story. So let's continue this journey with Ethan. Yeah, these next stories are really good. So definitely want to be here. Until next time, we're sending all the love and then some more. We'll talk tomorrow. Thank you for exploring with me today. I would love to continue this conversation with you. We can do that at lauracristine.us. You'll find contact in the menu, or you can go to lauracristine.us slash contact, and you'll be taken right to it. Let's dive in a little deeper and see how fully we can flow with the duh. Thank you for being here. I would love to hear from you go to lauracristine.us to let me know your thoughts on this. And remember, as Rumi said, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Also, you can't fuck it up. I said that. I said that.